Welcome back to yet another episode of Insight Finds, the show where we take members of Alberta's political world, have a drink with them, and just talk about politics and talk about what's going on in the world today. Uh, Before we get going, I just want to address something very quickly. Uh, In past episodes, I've started to see a few comments that people think that we're doing this in person and we're having a drink face-to-face. I promise you that's not the case. If you're listening over Spotify or over audio, I can see how that might be presumed. But if you're watching on YouTube or anywhere else, I promise you we're doing it over Zoom. I'm in my spare bedroom, so nothing fancy going on here. Uh, But with no further ado, I want to bring in our guest today. We're going to be bringing in uh, Rick McIver. He is the Minister for Transportation, the Interim Minister for Minister or Municipal Affairs, sorry. And he has the undisputed title of having the best mustache in the Alberta legislature. How are you doing today? Doing great, Aaron. And how are you? I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for joining me. I know you've got a lot on the go these days with uh, two portfolios. Well, I get to work as much as I want. That's the uh, so that's uh, that's I guess that's the upside. But uh, yeah, it's great to have uh, uh, work to do that matters, and I'm uh, grateful for the opportunity. Awesome. Well, again, thanks for coming on. And uh, as usual, we have a drink with everybody that comes. So tell me a little bit about what we're drinking today. Okay, I'll show you. Okay, it's uh, Red Rage. It's a red ale by Tool Shed Brewery, and uh, it's a good Alberta-made beer. But more than Alberta made, it's made in uh, the riding where I get elected, Calgary Hayes, uh, by a couple guys named Graham and Jeff. And in Graham's backyard, literally in his tool shed with a home (laughs) brewing kit, they started messing around with uh, making their own beer. And uh, now they've got, I don't know, it's a, it's a bay with, I don't I guess, I don't know how many hectoliters they make, but he's, uh, it's coming into a medium sized brewery, at least now uh, first uh, uh, make several different kinds, first class beer. And I'm just kind of proud of it because uh, right where I get elected, it was made in some guy's backyard and some guy's tool shed. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of the Alberta entrepreneur, entrepreneurial spirit, isn't it? Uh, it sure is. And, uh, <laughs> and, and you know what? He's uh, he's, uh, um, an enthusiastic guy. I'm told uh, Graham, the uh, guy who owned the tool shed, actually has the Guinness World Record for raising the most money uh, while running a marathon. I think he, uh, he raised a bunch of money for mitochondrial syndrome. I might not have that. Sorry for all you medical people. I probably didn't say that right. But uh, the fact is, the uh, guy that invented uh, the tool shed raised a bunch of money while running a marathon. So that's kind of a fun fact. And awesome. Very happy to be supporting that. I picked up uh, the Prairie Pride on my side. Uh, Very interested in that. So, I mean, without uh, any further delay, cheers to you. And uh, cheers. Have our first sip there. Oh, that goes down really nice. Mm. I I guess technically I get to call this work, right? Exactly. I mean, that's my favorite (laughs) part about this. (laughs) No, there are. uh, yeah, it's a pretty nice perk, I'll be honest. But uh, so earlier on, we were talking about the mustache a little bit. And I know this is kind of going back to the summer, but you had done a fundraiser for the Kids Cancer Care Foundation of Alberta. And that made news. That was an awesome thing to see. But uh, how did it feel having your mustache see the light of day for the first time in 45 years? It was it was a little strange. It uh, <laughs> my my upper lip didn't know what hit it. It, it was felt a little bit numb. Uh, my wife, who actually who, who uh, is the CEO and the founder of Kids Cancer Care, she of course uh, for social distancing reasons, plus the fact that she 
kind of earned the right to do it. She, yeah, she cut it off on Canada day. And, um, and it was, we raised, uh, about $425,000. Oh, wow. Which, uh, I'm proud of, uh, obviously didn't do it alone. Had lots of, lots of help from lots of people. So, uh, yeah, that was, uh, made for a fun Canada day and, uh, people got to tease me for a while and, um, some people were disappointed that it grew back so fast. My wife <laughs> likes to tell people that while she was cutting it off, she could see it growing. I, I, I don't actually believe that's true, but uh, it didn't take long for it to come back. Oh man, I'm a little bit envious because this is a couple weeks in and I wish that I could just get nice and thick like that right from the start. But you also kind of beat me to the punch because I was going to ask you what you ended up raising, but I saw that you had hit $50,000 and that was your goal and you hit that very quick. So over 400,000 is incredible and obviously going to a very good cause. <laughs> Yeah, you know what? It was it was great. It was really gratifying, and 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 uh, to the charitable foundation, it meant a great deal because, uh, uh, like all charities, uh, this has been a tough year. When people are when their businesses are down, when people are getting laid off, they don't have extra money, and they don't know whether somebody's going to lose their job. They just don't have as much money as they usually do to give to charitable causes. So, I would just you know uh, encourage your listeners to give to whatever their favorite charity is because man, do they need it this year. Absolutely. And like you said, everybody sort of needs it right now. You can't really go wrong with where you're going. If there's a cause that's important to you, absolutely. Definitely make sure your money is going there where you can. Um, But another reason that I was just doing a little bit of research ahead of time, and I saw that you were doing this because you normally do the motorcycle ride for a lifetime. How long have you been doing that one for? Uh, 10 or 12 years. Maybe a little more even, but uh, yeah, for several years, it's a, it's a great ride. It's, again, it's a, it's a kids' cancer care fundraiser. Uh, it's a three-day motorcycle ride. Uh, I, I, there's uh, we leave Calgary, usually go through the the interior of British Columbia, different a different route every year. Oftentimes, we pass through Golden, Revelstoke, Nelson, Cran, uh, Cranbrook. Uh, I'll uh, take a ferry or two across the rivers there on the little twisty roads through the interior of British Columbia. About forty or fifty bikes. You know, some have two up, so there may be 60 or 70 people. And uh, it's it's just a great three-day ride. Um, everybody's uh, it's everybody's adults. I mean, everybody has fun, but they, everybody rides safely. And uh, once the bikes are tucked away for the night, then you party a bit. Then once the, once the drinks come out, no riding, of course. And uh, so everybody has fun and gets up the next day and goes for a nice, nice, beautiful ride and lots of great, you know, food and great camaraderie. Just a real nice group of people. No, and I asked that a little selfishly because I'm actually a rider myself. So anytime I see any sort of motorcycle get-togethers like that for a good cause, it always makes me happy. And you know what? When you said you're going through the twisties of BC, uh, that is just the dream because my favorite highway in Alberta to take on the motorbike is just 1A on the uh, way to Lake Louise from Calgary. I just, I don't know what it is, just how, even though it's a slower road, just when you're able to go back and forth and really get the bike going, it's way better than driving in Edmonton where you have straight roads or you're just going to go up and down Groat Road for twisties for half an hour. <laughs> so what do you ride, Aaron? Uh, I ride a Jixer uh, 600. I'm on the sport bike side of things, but uh, I promise I don't ride like what you would uh, stereotypically expect a sport bike rider to do. I ride like an old man. <laughs> well, I, I ride old, old, an old man's old man's bike, so uh, that's okay. <laughs> what do you have? Uh, a couple got a, uh, um, they're both old, a 2005 uh, 1700 Yamaha V-Twin Roadstar. 
Ooh, um, nice. you know, the side bags and stuff. It's it's comfy, right? You've got a windshield and that kind of stuff, and, and a Goldwing, a 2001 yeah. Goldwing. And again, it's uh, more like a well, sport bike riders accuse me of sitting on a couch instead of a real motorcycle, <laughs> but but it's an old guy's bike and it's real nice. Well, and the nice thing about the Goldwing is you have the button to do the auto wave. You don't have to put your fingers off to the side. The bike does it for you. <laughs> well, and, and you know what? The Goldwing is actually more of an overgrown sport bike. It actually it really, it really can go. The, the V-Twin would, goes fine, but it's it's not anywhere anything like a sport bike. Where the Goldwing is kind of a oversized sport bike. Well, so. and I think uh, most Goldwings are somewhere in the 2300 to 3300 CC range. I can't remember off the top of my head. 1800. 1800. Sorry, I'm overestimating, but yeah, they go. I've seen it and they can take off the line pretty nice. Um, so kind of diving back into the politics side of things. So you've been in the political world in Alberta for quite a while. You've been, you started off over in the city of Calgary with an alderman for nine years. Um, so I'm just kind of want to dive back into that time a little bit. What was it like dealing with the provincial government as an alderman versus how you're experiencing now, especially now that you're in the municipal affairs role, at least for the time being? Well, it's fun the way you ask the question because uh, of the nine years I spent on Calgary City Council, uh, eight of those years I also spent on the board of the Alberta Urban Municipalities Association. Yes. Going up to Edmonton two or three times a month to uh, for meetings and stuff, and very often meeting with uh, provincial ministers on municipal issues. So uh, uh, it was good. It was, it was great learning. It was great uh, basic training for what I'm doing now. Um, and when I say basic training, I'm not knocking the importance of municipal politics because your municipally elected people do very important work, whether it's in a small town out in, in rural Alberta or in Edmonton or Calgary. It all matters a lot to the people that live there. But uh, it, it was good. It was uh you know, trying to get uh, the minister of the day or the ministers of the day to uh, appreciate the municipal issues of, from and from all perspectives, rural, rural, urban, which while they have a lot of similarities, there's a lot of differences too. you know, like the type of policing they do and, and uh, or have and how much they pay for the policing and and, and uh, the prevalence of social issues that crop up. And listen, they, they those social issues crop up in every municipality. But in the downtowns of the bigger municipalities, it's a little more concentrated. So there, there's there are uh, uh, housing and, and social uh, uh, issues that uh, are more prevalent in some municipalities than others. So for me, it was great to have a good, I think, uh, to get a good, well-rounded view of different municipalities, what matters to them and, and what uh, helps the quality of life for the people that live there. No, for sure. And it's obviously when you're working as an alderman of the largest city in the province, that's going to come with very specific challenges, very unique challenges as well that maybe only Edmonton would be able to rival. But at the same time, you kind of illustrated that very well. It's a great way to sort of not get your feet wet again. I don't want to diminish the role of municipal politics, but it gives you a taste of what it's like, especially when, like you said, you're dealing with AUMA and you get to see what it's like working with the provincial government on a day-to-day basis. Um, But I kind of did a little bit of the research to that as well. You had quite a few uh, ministers of municipal affairs while you were with Calgary. You had uh, Boudelier, you had Renner, Danilik, and Goudreau. Uh, Do you remember anything about any of them that really stands out in your mind? Oh, gosh. Uh, you know what? They're, they're all different. Um, um, Bo- Bo- Guy Boudelier was a high energy guy. Hard to keep up with him. A real, real positive guy. Rob Renner, uh, a nice guy down for Medicine Hat, solid, uh, you know, uh, you know, really steady. Um, you know what? They all brought to the table what 
what, what, what was inside themselves, you know what I mean? And, and they all did their best to, to, to be easy to work with and, uh, and to help us out. Uh, and that's, I think, I don't know, take, take this with a grain of salt because maybe I'm too being too generous because I'm an elected guy myself, but I think most people uh, don't expect to agree with their elected people on everything, but what they really expect is for them to uh, have in their heart to try to make life better, to actually care, to actually listen, to actually eat within whatever um, political spectrum or party, you know, within the beliefs of the party they belong to, but that within that to actually try to make life better for people. Uh, most people, uh, uh, I think, uh, will for, forgive mistakes, but they will not forget, forgive not caring. And, and I would say everybody I worked with along the way cared, tried to help. Um, you know, and politics, the nature of politics is you sometimes agree and sometimes you have a fight, disagree, have an argument. Uh, and, but that's that's the way the process is supposed to work. And uh, and so it is even now. Um, but yeah, it's uh, but but the one big difference I have to tell you is that uh, municipal politics uh, is more of an individual sport and in, 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 uh, party politics in the province is more of a team sport. Now. Now, on the you know, on Calgary Council, I mean, I used to sometimes describe it as fifteen parties of one, but but uh, but it depends issue by issue. The different thing is uh, in provincial politics, the ones in your own party are your teammates all the time, and municipal politics, depending upon the issue, uh, sometimes I would uh, lose a vote fourteen to one, so there's nobody on my team, and sometimes I'd be on the nine six side of a winning, but it'd be a different nine every time depending upon the issue because different people you know, would agree with it, and disagree with it. So it's an ever shifting landscape in municipal politics and, and, and not in any evil way. It's just a matter of different people, different people agree on different things at different times. So it was much more fluid. You never, uh, well, uh, only by talking to people, did you know who was going to be on your side on a particular issue or a particular day? hundred percent. And I think that's kind of the same way it is with every city council. There's just so many different issues and each riding, especially when you get such urban sprawl regions like Edmonton and Calgary, where it's really like going to different cities when you go to different parts. So everybody has their own interests. And when you're representing that one ward, it's a challenge. So, I mean, admittedly, I'm still learning a lot about municipal politics in my role. So it's always uh, nice to hear a little bit more information on that, but it's really interesting kind of looking at your history, just because you've kind of touched a lot of bases going through your career. Uh, when you're finishing up with uh, city of Calgary, you had your run for mayor and eventually that led you to going to the PCs at the time. But when you were going through that mayoral race, how was that different from the alderman role? How did the campaigns change? You know, that was, listen, um, there's winning days and there's learning days and, and the winning days are always better than learning days. But there was, uh, although I didn't win the, the campaign, there was lots of winning days along the way. And, and, and while uh, I got to, as a member of the city council for nine years, get to know a lot of different people from a lot of different religions, ethnic groups, nationalities, backgrounds. Uh, during the time I ran for mayor, I really was inserted, injected myself right in the middle of all of that. And it was great. And to this day, um, I have friends all over town. Um, I mean, always, always did, but even more so now. Every 
color, religion, every nationality. I've eaten, in most cases, I've eaten the food, sang the songs or listened to somebody else sing the song, watched somebody do the dance, and in some cases did the dance myself. Um, and that is such a great experience. Uh, honestly, I, my, um, my wife and I talk about that sometimes. We say, wow, did we ever get a trip around the planet within our city and get to know some really nice people that we might not have known otherwise. And it's just, it was so great that way. <clears throat> Sorry, the just had a sip and it went down the wrong tube. I apologize for that. But uh, breathe, breathe the air, drink the beer. <laughs> <laughs> as long as it's going down the right tube, I don't think beer belongs in the lungs. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so when you had finished up that run from air, I mean, I guess the one thing I want to address with that is the door knocking side of things. It's similar for all levels of government, but when you're going from municipal to provincial, I've, I've kind of talked to some other guests and they've mentioned that when they did that transition, the biggest thing was people trying to learn who's in charge of what, because you might be having your constituents very interested in a particular issue, say healthcare, but you're actually running for federal politics, which is more of a, mm-hmm. it doesn't really touch it as much. So were you finding a lot of that when you did that run or how in tune did you find people were at the time? It's a mixed bag. When you go door knocking, uh, it's uh, no matter what, uh, there's some people know exactly what the city's responsible for and the federal government and the provincial government and other people. It's all kind of mixed together and kind of a jumble. And they, and, and they, and you know what, it only show proves to me that they've got a real life. And, and, and that they, you know, they worry about their family and making a living and, and whatever their hobbies and their recreation and their sports are. And, 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 and that's fine. So uh, I guess part of the job is to, you know, talk to people respectfully and, and, uh, and if they ask about an issue that doesn't have to do with the order of government that you happen to be running for, you kind of direct them to where they can get help and who to call and or offer to make the connection yourself. So, so that's okay. It's, uh, and again, it, it's, it's the same thing, I guess, that, uh, People just want whoever they is elected and is working for them to actually care enough to make the effort. And, and, uh, and of course they like it better if they happen to agree with everything you do, but, uh, it's, 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 you know what, when you knock on doors, you, that's what qualifies you to actually be in office. You know, people ask me a lot of times, so how do you, how do you know what people want? I said, well, you knock on 5,000 doors and about a little over a thousand people will answer their door. And if you actually listen to what they say, you have a pretty good idea of what you're doing uh, and how to represent them because they tell you, you know, if you, if you're inquisitive and, and, and listen carefully and, and try to draw them out with your questions and your, and, and your, uh, you know, whatever statements you make to them, you, uh, you learn pretty quick. And I'd say it takes about a thousand people to actually answer your door before you start feeling like, you know, a little bit about what you're actually talking about and that you can make statements that actually represent what most people want. Because um, in the same way that pollsters, when they, uh, a thousand is a lot. So even when people do a poll in the whole province of Alberta, if they talk to a thousand people, they feel like their numbers are pretty accurate. So I think that's kind of true too. If you're knocking on doors in a riding or a ward or a part of the city or town is that once you get to that number of people and you notice the patterns and the consistencies between what people want that it generates, 
it's never perfect, but generally speaking, it's, you pretty much know, have an idea what's important to people by then. For sure. And Albertans are many things, but the, one of the things that's definitely at the top of the list is Albertans are very politically aware. They know what's going on. They pay attention and they care, which is probably one of my favorite things about being here is because I'm a bit of a policy nerd. So I can kind of talk to anybody on the street and just have a conversation about politics, regardless of what their background is, which is fantastic. Um, But the one thing that I kind of wanted to get to next is you had spent obviously a lot of time with the PC party and you saw a lot of different things while you were there. You were there during the merger and the floor crossing and everything else that was going on at the time, because I think it was 2012, you were first elected in the legislature. Am I right? Yeah, that's right. Right. So given that you've kind of been both on the PC and the UCP side, um, now that you've been in the legislature for a little while, are you seeing a lot of differences between the way the two operated or are they still fairly similar in the sense that it's still a conservative party? Well, it's, it's still a conservative party, but, uh, I guess a lot has changed, right? I mean, the, the, UCP is, uh, uh, well, let me say, go back, going back, the PCs were the evolution of 40 plus years of government, uh, where for decades, everybody just assumed the PCs were going to get reelected. And so what you had then is people uh, that had uh, run, had run for the party that weren't necessarily always conservative. And, and, it, and that's not to, to knock them or insult anybody. I'm just saying it became a bit of a coalition, if you will, of people. And uh, the UCP is also a coalition of people, maybe a slightly different coalition. And, and if we do a good enough job and Albertans let us stick around for any government, I think that sticks around for a certain period of time, uh, more and more people are drawn to them and you get more of a mishmash of the general population than a, than particular, than a uh, particularly pure ideological group. And I, by pure, I don't mean better. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, I, I just mean with uh Rather than a narrower view of ideology, you get a wider view that comes in over time. And, yeah. and, and, and that's not a, a, a liberal or a conservative or an NDP thing. That's a people thing because a certain number of people, and again, this doesn't make them bad people either, are drawn to whoever's in power. Right. Some of us call ourselves proudly conservatives. Some people proudly call themselves NDPs or, liber- or proudly call themselves liberals. Great. All of that's legal. All of that's good. Um, but if any stripe of government is there for long enough, they end up other people kind of slip in <laughs> because <laughs> because they're because they because they want to have influence over the government of the day. They want to have influence over policy. They want to make life better for their kids and grandkids or maybe their grandparents. So so uh, over time, if you're you govern long enough, you your ideology becomes more blended with. The, the, from away from, I guess, the, whatever the you might refer to a more pure ideology to more mixed one. So, <laughs> so the PCs had more of that because they were in government for a long time. Now this is our first term as UCP. So it's uh, and uh, it, there's no such thing as pure. I'm not use the word, but nobody has a pure ideology. I don't either. Um, but the fact is, so we're a conservative party, and and. Uh, so we're learning and we're a new government, right? This is our first term. We've been governing for just under two years. So we're still evolving and learning and, and uh, you know, getting our feet underneath us as a government. Um, you know, and I, it's, it's funny for me to say, because I've been in, you know, elected for at the end of this term, it'll be 20 years. But uh, the majority of people that are in the legislative assembly right now, it's their first term. They've been elected for less than two years. So it's only, it's only fair 
that they would learn and evolve and develop and maybe change their mind on some things and maybe have their their opinions confirmed on other things. They say, I was right all along and other things say, oh, I never knew that. Maybe I better think about things differently. So it's evolving. And and uh, to a large number of people on the NDP side of the aisle too, it's their first term. So some, I would imagine over there, they're evolving and some are changing their opinions and some are more dug in than ever. And, that, and that's I think that's just a natural evolution. Well, and it's interesting too, just because when you say that there's a lot of new people coming in, that's natural. I mean, that's, there's always going to be that element of turnover, but just from purely academic point, I wonder how many people go in for the first time, regardless of whether you're on the NDP, UCP, liberal, whatever side you are on, like what extent you understand the legislative process. Cause a lot of people, you might come in and you might be assigned to something like public accountants. Like, okay, I've never heard of this committee. What is that? Um, it's just, there's a lot more to being an MLA, obviously, as you know, way better than I will. It's a lot more than just going into question period, going into debate and going into committee. There is a lot of things that happen behind the scenes that the public just doesn't know about unless they get involved in that way. So it's going to be interesting to see what the next two years have in store, because with the next election in 2023, there's going to be changes. And let's be honest, a few months in politics is a long time and two years is even longer. So we'll just see, I guess, how things go. I think we'll all live and die a few times between now and the next election. <laughs> and, and, um, and, and, that, and, and that's on all both all sides of the aisle, right? Uh, because uh, here's what I often ask when people, when things are tough, I, ask, I always ask people, I say, you remember what the lead story was on the six o'clock news three days ago? And you know what everybody says? No. <laughs> right. And no one will remember three days from now, or at least most people won't. What was the lead story today? It doesn't mean it's not important. <laughs> it means that it's important today. And while it might still be later, the public's attention will move to the more important thing that day. So, uh, and I, I guess so Gary Marr, I, mean, I don't think he invented the saying, but uh, I always quote him on it because he's the one that taught me this is that uh, along the way, mistakes should not be our undertakers. Mistakes should be our teachers. So when, you know, when you have tough days, you learn, like I said, you know, there's winning days and learning days. When you have your learning day, the most important thing to do is learn and, and, and at least try to make different mistakes. And, and, uh, and that's, uh, I think that's true again, no matter what side of the aisle you're on. No, and I think that's very well put. I'm glad you, uh, I'm glad you said that. Um, so kind of going back to that time, obviously, after the 2015 election, when the Alberta landscape just completely changed, uh, that's when the talks started beginning with the merger of the Wild Rose and the PC parties at the time. Now, kind of one thing I was just curious about is when internally did you sort of start hearing those rumblings about the possibility of a merger? Because you had taken over as interim leader for a little bit. Well, um, <laughs> um, my uh, good friend, Jason Kenny, and I, and uh, I, I mean that in the, I was uh, about 20 years ago when I was first on city council, uh, I was always a supporter of his. And at one point I was his member of city council and he was my uh, member of parliament. Uh, I sat on uh, his board on his uh, federal uh, board as a board member has supported him in door knock for him and all that kind of stuff. Um, so him and I have been friends for a long time. And um, way back then when I was the interim leader of the PC party, I was going to run to be the permanent leader. And Jason didn't have to do this, but he actually had the class to come around to my house and ask me if I minded if he ran uh, to be leader. And I said, well, <laughs> if you're going to do that, it took me about two seconds to say I'm out. And I'm putting me on your volunteer list. 
because <laughs> you're the guy that should be doing this. I would do it, but you're the right guy. So um, there was we didn't have anything to fight about there. I just got on board and then just kind of said, you know, as long as you stick with it, I'll stick with you because I think you're the right guy. And we went, to, you know, of course, like everything, when you're building something, there's a lot of heartache, there's a lot of tough days, and there's a lot of great days. And uh, uh, I kind of had a, I'm, I'm lucky in that I kind of had a front row seat for the whole thing. Uh, on the PC side, I was on the uh, small committee that negotiated the merger between the, the progressive conservatives and the Wall Rose party of the day and and, and drafted the, uh, the original uh, constitution or founding principles of the United Conservative Party. So that, that's kind of that's kind of a privilege, I think. Uh, you know, there was lots of tough conversations and, and one thing and another. So I've, I've been lucky enough to be there since day one. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled. I, uh, I was, I would say everybody should want to be me, uh, only that only because I love what I get to do. Right. I'm not sure it gets any better than that. Uh, I, I, I have work that I think is meaningful. Um, uh, and, uh, I love it and I think it's a huge privilege and I'm grateful every day. And how does the phrase go? If you have a job that you love, you'll never work a day in your life. Yeah, that's sort of true. I, uh, you know what? Um, no, listen, I think I work I, many days. I work like a dog and, and I'm just saying, I mean, in some of your, you know, your listener might say, yeah, he does. Or say, I don't believe that, that lazy guy. And that's okay. Everybody's entitled to their opinion, but, um, but yeah, but let me say this, the work's a lot easier when you do what you want. If it's a, if it's a passion, the something that you love, it, you do work, but boy, it's a lot easier to do it with a smile on your face. And, uh, well, I'm sure this isn't entirely true. I always tell people I love my job 96% of the time. Um, right. And, and, and that's not based on statistics. That's based on my general impression. I just almost all the time, I, I feel blessed to be able to do what I do. And, and I don't have any trouble getting out of, getting out of bed in the morning to go to work. Good. That's, that's always good to hear. Um, so you had just mentioned too, that I didn't realize that, uh, premier Kenny had actually approached you before, uh, he ended up putting his hat into the ring. So, well, I'm sure he than... wasn't. I'm sure I wasn't the only one he talked to, okay? <laughs> and I'm pretty sure he was thinking about running whether I liked it or not. But, <laughs> but I thought it was pretty classy mm-hmm. that he made an appointment and 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 come and and let me know that he was thinking about that. So when he did approach you, and you had mentioned that. Uh, you want you were totally okay to just kind of step to the side and let him go because you thought he was the right person. What was it about him that I mean, obviously I don't expect you to go into your personal friendship with him or anything, but what was it about him that sort of made you comfortable with that idea and say that he's our guy? Well, I always considered him a little bit of a mentor because sometimes I'd ask him for advice and he would help me out and kind of watch how he carried himself. And I thought he had a pretty, pretty strong uh, political career in the federal government, you know, uh, in charge of several important ministries. And I think he made a good job of every single one of them. Um, and and when you talk to him, he's uh, he's a humble he's a humble guy. He's a nice man. So. Uh, yeah, it's just I, I really I, I feel that feel and and you know what. Um, <laughs> people that support us might agree with us and people that don't support us won't. And that's fair enough. Uh, I'm not sure. And I'm not knocking anybody else, but I'm not sure what other provincial leaders are on a first name basis with a whole bunch of world leaders other than the premier of Alberta today. And that's not knocking any of the other ones because you can do the job without that. But I think he brings uh, perspective to the table that other people just aren't able to bring. And, and I think Alberta benefits from that. 
No, fair enough. And thank you for the insight on that. It's uh, it's always interesting hearing the human side of politics, because I think that's something that gets missed a lot. That's I mean, that's the entire reason this podcast exists, is we want to highlight that human side of it, because we feel that, I mean, we obviously have access to our politicians way more than ever through social media and everything else. And it's easy to kind of yell at somebody on Twitter. But I mean, it's good to have these human conversations. Just we frankly, we just don't have them enough anymore, even in personal lives. Well, unfortunately, it's uh, the uh, it seems like it's a political strategy to do a character assassination on your opposition. But even folks in other parties that I severely disagree with, and I think they're wrong about everything. um, They're pretty much decent human beings. You know what I mean? Who I just happen to disagree with. And that's just it. If everybody agreed, there would be no need for multiple parties. And at the end of the day, I mean, don't get me wrong. There's a very, very, very select few that shouldn't be in politics. But for the most part, people that get involved, they get involved because they care. They want to make their world a better place. And no one's going out trying to ruin anything. They're just trying to go about it the way that they see best. So I think that's something that does get lost in everything. Yeah. And it can. And, uh, Let's face it, there's enough examples of uh, silly political mistakes that you can make fun of or get angry at that you don't have to wonder why people will get a bit of, can get a bit of a negative opinion. But I suppose if uh, uh, no matter what job you're in, if there's a camera following you around two-thirds of your day, um, they're b- bound to catch you doing some things that aren't as smart as the smart things are that you do. But, but, but that's on us. I mean, if I do something silly, dumb, whatever, that's on me. And part of the job is uh, it, uh, that there might be a camera or a microphone there, and then you own it. And what they say, what goes on the internet stays on the internet. Right? <laughs> oh, God, is that ever true in 2021? <laughs> so I guess I'll bring us back now to uh, more modern and contemporary times. I don't want to keep you too much longer because you've been very gracious with your time already. But uh, so now, obviously, we've kind of already addressed it, that you're kind of wearing two hats. You're working with uh, municipal affairs and working with transportation. So one month in, what has it been like having to manage two portfolios? Because right now you're the only person who has to do that. Well, again, it's a privilege, but um, kind of drinking through a fire hose. I, I'm, I'm lucky in that because of my time on city council and my time on the AUMA board and my uh, several years in the legislative assembly, I've, I've got some basic training, if you will, for uh, municipal affairs, but, uh, but getting up to date on the current issues um, it, it matters. And there's a few, you know, that are, that are uh, hopping right now. Um, the, uh, um, talking about uh, assessment on lin- on uh, for linear assessment pipelines and stuff like that, and the fact that the energy companies in some cases can't afford to pay their municipal taxes. There's some you know some pressure for the government to help municipalities out with that and to try to develop a new policy that will work going into the future for both the industry and the municipalities. Uh, there's planning issues age old, age old intermunicipal problems, right? Where a municipality wants to build something and the municipality next to them thinks it's too close to them. It's too big. It's too small. It's not environmentally friendly enough. Although the municipality building, it might think that they've done their environmental studies and it's all good or they're still competing for tax base. And 
just uh, another day. It's just a day that ends in Y. Um, and, and, and so trying to, trying to help sort out those things in a way that makes sense at the end of the day for the long-term good of Alberta and Canada, uh, you have to keep in mind, well, stick handling the personalities and differing viewpoints of, of different people. So it's fun. It's, it's, uh, I, I feel like I, uh, I have a bit of an understanding of it, but uh, you get surprised too all the time because there's always a new wrinkle, right? That somebody finds a different way to try to get an advantage on somebody else or, or, or sometimes they will go down the road, hold hands and completely cooperate and everything's great. That happens too. It's just, that, <laughs> just that that doesn't require a lot of my time and effort when that happens. You usually get involved when there's disagreements rather than when there's agreements. And unfortunately don't really hear about that too, too much in the media. It's uh, not often you hear, Hey, this worked out great for everybody. <laughs> and, and just for those people listening that the, the getting along cooperating and doing what's in the collective good happens all the time, but it, it's not what they call news. Mm-hmm. It's when things are operating the way they're designed to and the way they should be running. That's kind of the yep. majority of the time you would say. I would say, yeah. No, and you know, at the end of the day, um, none of us spend our whole life in one municipality, in one province, or even in one country. So while you're responsible for your municipality, your province, or your country, you should actually care about the rest of it too, because you're going to live some of your life outside of that municipality, that province, or that country. So um, sometimes it, it can be tempting to only think of your own interests, but really, uh, you and the ones you love uh, go outside of that circle too. Yeah, totally. Um, so I don't want to get too bogged down to details because I realize you're still probably getting acquainted with a few different things within uh, municipal affairs. But uh, the one thing I kind of want to touch on is uh, the ICS training just in relation to vaccine rollout and everything else, because we know that municipal affairs is involved with it. But at the same time, municipal affairs isn't necessarily the one who's sort of operating it. So how does the municipal affairs minister sort of integrate with the Alberta Emergency Management Agency and sort of coordinate intergovernmentally to make this vaccine rollout happen? Well, um, excuse me, you asked a couple things that aren't yeah. exactly um, equivalent. So the emergency, Alberta Emergency Management Agency is part of municipal affairs. Yes. And, and my deputy minister uh, and I, you know, helped to, to manage that thing, that, but, uh, but here's the thing. My deputy minister is leading the government's effort to distribute the vaccines. But when he does that, he's not working for me. He's working for the minister of health. So although he gets his, he gets his paycheck for municipal affairs, uh, he's not reporting to me when he's working on the vaccine rollout. He's reporting to the health minister. So so I give up X number of hours a week of whatever of his time so that he can help out with the. I'm obviously I'm happy to do it because there's no bigger issue that matters more to Albertans right now than, than the way the government tries to uh, keep up, keep everybody healthy and whole, both their careers and their health during the during the pandemic. So so uh, in the same way, I guess that I've got two jobs. My deputy minister on the municipal affairs side has two jobs. He doesn't get he doesn't get paid anymore for it, but he, he he's doing two jobs. So um, I uh, try to make allowances for that because it's important. And uh, yeah, so I don't get to take credit for the vaccine rollout. Um, I just uh, my my deputy, who's uh, uh, I, there's a, a school of thought which I don't disagree with that uh, some of the people in government best suited to do this kind of thing are people with military backgrounds. 
And my uh, deputy is a former general in the Canadian military. And uh, as, as is the person leading the effort in the federal government uh, uh, with a military background. So uh, he's, I think he's the right person to do the job. He's doing a great job. And uh, when he get when his hours come back to municipal affairs, I, uh, he works very hard for the people of Sure, And I'm glad you clarified that because I'm sure that there's a lot of confusion there. And I mean, you even addressed a few things that I wasn't aware of. So no, I appreciate that. And I hope that uh, some people learned a few things through that as well, but not to deal with that too, too much, but obviously we've been hearing a lot about the vaccine rollout. We've been hearing the federal government hasn't been doing enough, or we've been hearing that uh, actually just today at the time of recording, we heard that Moderna is not uh, going to be giving us their full amount. It'll be 78% of the expected rollout, I think it is. And Pfizer's mentioned that they're upgrading their facility. So there's going to be delays there. How, like, just from the inside perspective, how challenging is it dealing with the federal government with everything going on? I mean, obviously, it's not just on one person or one entity, but there's a lot of things at play here. How, how is it to deal with that right now? Well, it's, it's a little bit like the municipalities in the province and the province and the federal government working together. There's a, there's an essential partnership because we're all working for Canadians, but there's natural tension there too. Uh, and, and it can be unhealthy and it can be healthy. If you just, when you're just uh, um, interfering with each other's success, I, uh, I suppose that that's not helpful at all for the citizens. But if you're pressuring each other to do a better job, then it can be better. Uh, with the, talking about the vaccine rollout, I, I don't know why, but a few weeks ago, the prime minister complained about Alberta and other provinces saying, we got all these vaccines and you're not getting them in people's arms fast enough. Well, uh, that's either good politics or a cheap shot, depending upon your perspective. So in the natural tension of politics, the provinces said, I'll show you and, and got the needles in arms as fast as we could and say, no, we're getting the stuff in their arms. You're not getting it to us fast enough. So you can say, well, that's petty politics with politicians barking at each other. It doesn't help anybody. On the other hand, it's putting pressure on us as the province to do a better and faster job of getting the, which, which the citizens benefit from. And when we put pressure on the federal government, if they answer the bell and get the vaccine and, and do succeed eventually and get the vaccines in here faster, that also benefits people. So sometimes the natural tension between orders of government is it can be destructive and other times it can be very productive for, for the citizens because if the natural competition, the natural pressure makes the federal government get the vaccines from somewhere faster, that's good for people. And if the natural pressure makes us in the province get it, get it out and get it in people's arms faster, that's good for the citizens too. So there's a great example of where that, that competition, the, the, the fighting, if you will, is actually good for people. Uh, but when it goes too far, then it stops being good for people and everybody can make their decision about which is which. And when it gets to that point, and it's going to be subjective based on who you are and sort of what your own politics are. But yeah, no, it's interesting you put it that way. I've actually never really thought about that way in terms of the positive competition. So no, that's actually a very interesting. I want the federal government under pressure to get us more vaccines. And we're doing everything we can to put them under pressure. And they would be right to say, I want the provinces under pressure when we get those vaccines to get them in people's arms faster. And that's a legitimate thing too. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, so I promise not too, too much more. Uh, the one thing I kind of want to talk about is we have budget 2021 coming up. I realize you're sort of coming into this at the 11th hour. Is there anything that you're able to tell us about what might be coming for municipal affairs or transportation at this point? Or is that still, I mean, I don't even, is it finalized or is it still kind of being touched up on? 
you know what the best the fastest way that i know of to lose my job is to tell you what i think is going to be in the budget. <laughs> fair enough <laughs> so you might have to forgive me if, if if even what i think i know i'm not going to tell you um but but there's things that have been said publicly that i think are obvious to everybody um we're in a uh, pandemic uh so we, we probably need to keep uh, uh funding healthcare and all the things that we need to do to make sure that people get looked after during the pandemic. We're also uh, scheduled by our own estimates to run a 20 billion plus deficit this year. Um, so I just give you a really good reason why we need to spend money. And then I gave you a really good reason why we need to control spending money. So uh, I would say, look for where you see evidence of both of those things when in the budget, when it comes out and, and for what I think I know might be in there again, that's, that's worth my job to tell you. So, so I won't. Fair enough. Cause I like my, I, uh... cause I like my job. <laughs> Fair enough. I don't expect you to put yourself in a sort of uh, compromising position here. That's not the point at all. So uh, minister, this has been fantastic. Thank you very much for coming on. Uh, very happy to have you. If you ever want to come again, the door is always open and uh, anything you want to finish up with. Uh, thank you. Uh, drink Alberta made beer, including tool shed, but if Excellent. it's made in Alberta, buy it and drink it. And thank you to everybody. And let's all, uh, let's all, uh, work together, push your government to get the vaccines out to people and, uh, and, and let's just be good to each other so that the maximum number available can survive this crazy, crazy pandemic. And we can get where we can actually have a beer together at the same table and shake hands and clink glasses and, and no one will be mad. So let's look forward to that happy day. For sure. And I'm looking forward to being able to do this in person again too. Cheers and thank, thank you again. Thanks, Aaron. Cheers.